This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Two minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. You're on 3RRR. This is Radio Maranoa. I'm Anthony Boxshaw. I'm Bron Burton. I'm Rex Hunter. Welcome back, people. It's good to see you. Here we are. In the flesh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Back for another year of all things wet and salty. Absolutely. And, of course, we've got to thank Uncle Tim. Of course. Thanks, Tim. Uncle Tim Thorpe, who has done, uh, you know, we've really run out of superlatives, haven't we? <laughs> we have. It's He's out-superlatated the superlatives. <laughs> Very soulful show today. It was, wasn't it? Thank you. He's mournful, soulful. <laughs> Yet happy. Thanks to Andrew Minga as well. Hey, Very well, this much. would be a very... Um, respectful hour for you to be getting into the studio <laughs> as of late. Yes. <laughs> um, if you're wondering what we're talking about, um, I, uh, I had the great pleasure of filling for a week with Dan Keeley for, um, for Summer Breakfast the last week before uh, Jez Gerald, uh, Geraldine, I was going to say Jez Geraldine. Well, she's, she's so amazing in the role that she does. <laughs> she fills the role of two people. Um, Sarah, Geraldine and Jeff. Yeah. So yes, this is very civilized. I know, Nine very o'clock. civilized. No, it's almost it's almost really afternoon, really, isn't it? When you do breakfast, <laughs> it's a uh, uh, it's the second year that um, that I did it, and just thank you uh, so much. I guess firstly for the opportunity and for the feedback that we had, which was just wonderful. But uh, but to the breakfast team, my God, hats off! <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's amazing. It, it really is an incredible thing that they do five days a week here on Triple R. So, on you guys, on ya. Good work. Let's, hey, let's so go through the program. Yeah, yeah. Two, should we go through 2018? Let's do or that. Or just this program? Oh, maybe just this one. <laughs> okay, I don't yeah, think sure. we got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, <laughs> it looked pretty planned to me. Yes, yeah. well, I can say everyone's back uh, except for Angeline. Angeline's um, gone off into the sunset, metaphorically. 
on the waters. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but um, we're back. Uh, Dr. Beach will be back in a couple of weeks. John's going to be back next week. Uh, Terry Allen will be back in a couple of weeks as well with her dive reporting. Um, we've got Rex here, obviously. Yes, in the flesh. Yes, so in, in the, the flesh. flesh. With, so with, the, with the Rex. With the Rex. <laughs> the Rex, the Rex, with that, and oh. the Rex with the Rex. Rex. Yeah. <laughs> if you wonder what we're talking hand, about. Hand in hand they go. <laughs> our, our very own very own Rex Hunter, who is our maritime heritage historian reporter. Guru. Gee, you're pumping up my tyres. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I was going to add That's some more when, when, when I get home, it'll be a different story. Mow the lawns. <laughs> Did you pick up the milk? Yeah. Literally mowing the lawns, not metaphorically. <laughs> yes. we, can, we can talk about that a bit too. Um, and uh, who have I And missed? Jeff. Of yes. course, Jeff Maynard. Yes. He'll be in today. He will be. Soundwaves. So Jeff presents a regular segment of uh, all sorts of footage um, Oral footage oral. That, oral. that he that footage? collects. Yeah, I know. We well, I think so. Soundage. Yeah. Sound. Oh, I like that. Sound bites. Soundage. Dredged from, from the yesteryear. <laughs> Dredged from the depths. Yeah, and sometimes not yesteryear. Sometimes as well. And he's going to surprise us today. Yeah, he's he's kept it pretty close to his chest. I know what he's doing. Oh, do I, know, you? I know what he's got oh, planned, but I'm not going to spoil the surprise because oh, it's pretty special. Okay. <laughs> uh, Doctor Surf's going to make an appearance here and there. Yeah, so nice. yes, lots of lots of stuff coming up. In the next year, for all things wet and salty, and we get close, although no dice, in no. this year, very yep. close to the one thousandth show. Yes, but that's next year. Yep. Yeah. Twenty celebration. We'll hit our nine hundredth. That must be pretty soon. No, we've, we've done that. Oh, have we? We're, this is show. This is actually, <laughs> this is actually show nine hundred and thirty-one. Right? We kind of blinked and missed yeah. it. Wait, oh, there we actually, no, that's right. I do remember now because. Oh, no, we did. Yes, yeah. because we had our 20th anniversary um, yeah. bells and whistles show down at Baja in Rye last year in March. Yeah. And then the 900s came around and we went, oh, yeah. eh, <laughs> eh, no, eh. We'll, we'll catch the 1,000. Yeah. It's like missing, like a wave coming past. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's my big achievement the one for behind. summer. The one at the back. The one at the back. That's it. I went surfing. Oh, wow. <gasps> Did you? Really? First wow. time. Wow. Just goes to show, yeah. Good on you. I know it work. wasn't graceful. Do we talk about your ankle boot now? Oh no, <laughs> that's not related to the surfing. Okay, right. Hey, that's fantastic. Oh look, it was a bit embarrassing, but um, I took the kids for a surf lesson. Where did you do that? Uh, in Bermagui. You're fantastic. And uh, went up there, and they had this great surf lesson, and I just thought, oh come on, it's now or never. So yes, it was not graceful, but. Because you'll there. be 30 soon, Bronze. Yes, yeah. well, I know. Yeah, yeah. You know 20, 25. <laughs> life, <laughs> life milestones. <laughs> Surely only 25. I'm 25. In fact, during the holidays, I hit a milestone. I turned 25 for the 25th time. Excellent. Ah, yes. Happy 25th anniversary <laughs> yeah. of your 25th. Yeah. So, so of the listeners out there, you can work out the demographic. Yes. <laughs> you know, so when we start talking about the early 80s and late 70s, you know why. Um, so, Rex, you're going to give us an update soon on what you've been doing oh yes yes happy thank you that's why i'm here basically <laughs> excellent excellent and um, then we've got a bunch of news there's yes. a whole all kinds of stuff that you know we we've got to catch up on that's right the holidays six weeks of marine news some great discoveries and jeff Just will be in towards yeah. the end with now I, I i heard you call it marine sound waves yes Okay, I've been calling it soundscapes. Well, I'm going from Jeff's email. Okay. So he called it sound waves and I thought actually that's a really it is good. Jeff's been with this I if like you it. if you're kind of tuning in for the first time and we're usually a bit more focused than this, it's just our first show back for the year. Um 
It's, uh, yeah, Jeff's been with us for what? Oh, Probably be. almost as long as the oh, show's been. years? Yeah. yeah. And we've never settled on no. a name for his <laughs> <laughs> so I think we, he, he emailed me and said sound waves, so I reckon we'll go with that. Okay, yeah, I like that, yeah. actually. Put oh, it in really the contract, Bron. <laughs> do, do, do we have contracts? Do we? This is my 22nd year. I've never seen one. <laughs> Should we, can That's I do some weather? weather? Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of a loose <laughs> summary of what was, we're going to do it? today. 27. Oh, look, have you heard it said that 27 is the perfect temperature? Yes. I have to. I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. Very nice. Yep. It is. Let's enjoy that. Mostly sunny, areas of fog about the nearby hills in the early morning. Winds south-easterly, 15 to 20 kilometres an hour becoming light before dawn, then becoming 15 to 25 southerlies in the early afternoon. Tomorrow, 29, patchy fog and then sunny day. And then Wednesday, 34, Thursday, 33, Friday, 29, Saturday down to 23. So high high 20s to low 30s this week. So we get summer back. Yeah, not the kind of feral 40-degree, yeah. you know, steam bath, sauna humidity that we had a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and I like, you know that it used Didn't to be. Like that. I don't know whether it's mythology, but I recall. Back in the day. <laughs> but you always go back to school and then it'd be 40. Yes. You know, for 20, you know, a lot of days in a row. Yeah. Life's cruel twists. Yes. <laughs> uh, tide times down at Point Lonsdale. We are heading for a low tide at 9.23 this morning and then heading for a high tide at 3.46 this afternoon. If you want to check out the surf forecast, uh, go and check out Swellnet because um, they do good stuff online. Uh, and the diving conditions, I believe the water temperature in the bay is now about 20 degrees. Something There's, like that. Yeah, yeah. 20, 21 degrees. Yeah, now, I, nice. There's a Facebook group that I've been following and they've put up all kinds of really cute pictures, amazing pictures. So someone I'm following, and I can't, this is terrible, isn't it? It's one of those social media grabs that you can never remember who it was, but they they snorkeled in 22 in the bay. Wow. In January, and it was a pocket. I'm sure it was a pocket, but I thought that's remarkable. Actually, Terry texted me. Oh. Oh. Sorry, (laughs) Terry. This is live radio. This is live radio. I just said Terry texted me, and I looked at my phone and realised she just has texted me, Um, and said that it was. She agreed. Twenty. She she said the same thing. Twenty-two degrees, and then she said, "We've got to get you in the water." And then a day later, I rolled my ankle, and that was near to that. So not surfing. She's in the middle of Bass Strait. She's on her way to Deal Island. Ooh, nice. Or the prom. I guess she's, they're going to see which Make way the wind pushes Wow. Them. Yeah. So we won't be getting a dive report oh, no. today. So, so, yeah, it is. So it can't be 22 out. No, it must be just in the bay. Yes. I mean, it wouldn't be out in the straight. But, no. But that's, that's pretty extraordinary. Yes, yeah, I think. Very, very warm. Hey, we have a very quick giveaway, which I'm just going to um, uh, um, announce. We've got some. So, you know, LifeWise turning 10. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, so LiveWise got a live from the Triple R performance space next Saturday at 10 p.m. When they go to air? Yes. Mm-hmm. Doors open at 9.30. So you've got to be able to, you know, hang around next Saturday night. In the performance space here at Triple R's, four double passes, nine three double eight one zero two seven, and Young Kent. Is, your names will be on the door. Young Kent's out there to take your name and your subscriber number. Um, and so if you wish to ring in, nine three double eight one zero two seven. It's going to be an amazing show. They've got Hoss performing. They've got, um, am I allowed to, I have to say, pitch diesel, pitch diesel. Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. I, I wonder whether that needed to come with a language warning. I think we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> you said it quickly. Yes. <clears throat> no one noticed. No. <laughs> but uh, it's going to be a cracker show so, with um, some reunions, some of 
you know, I, I believe, previous oh. previous broadcasters who might be coming back. Oh, there you go. Mm. There's been a few over 10 years too. Yes. That's I do. I do love my Saturday night live wire and yeah. sitting down, usually preparing this show at ten o'clock and listening to. It. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell people how we make the sausage. I <laughs> want to know what's in the sausage. No, no one wants to know that. <laughs> um, so nine three double eight one zero two seven. Hey, we're going to play a track. Otherwise, we're never going to get any time to do any of the rest of the show. Um, this one is as he quickly looks. This is Matrio from a little EP that came out called S- September, and it's actually one of those New Zealand. I think it's. Yeah, this is uh, their version of one of Lord's tracks, Buzzcut Season, back in a tick with the Rex. Sunday morning. It, that was a May trio. That's um, off their album September and that's Buzzcut Season. That's actually originally a Lord song, mm. a New Zealand singer, which I've never heard. But that's a good version and I don't know what the original sounds like. You're on Radio Marinara. It is 16 minutes past the hour of 9 o'clock. We're going to do some Rex hunting. Oh, good. <laughs> it's about time. I think we just came up for a name for your segment, Rex. Rex hunting. Yeah. Rex hunting. By Rex Hunter. Very good. <laughs> Just <laughs> turn it from noun to a verb, and there you go. Yeah, there we go. Eponymous. <laughs> so what, you've been busy over summer. I've been, uh, yes, busy. I've been out um, searching for sites off Williamstown, out running the side scan, mowing the lawn. I was going to say, have you been yeah. mowing the lawn so you can avoid mowing the lawn? Yes. <laughs> now, do we, do we, should we explain what mowing the lawn in this context means? Because I suspect, you know, I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but there might be someone out there going, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> So you're using a side-scan sonar. Using a side-scan yeah. sonar and a series of um, straight and parallel lines. Which sends which, like a signal down to the bottom of the yeah, ocean. If, if you know what an ultrasound of a, yeah. of a, um, of a fetus or something yeah, yeah, looks yeah. like and the husband looks at it and can't see anything yeah. but the wife looks at it and says, there's the head, there's yeah. the foot. And you guys are doing a similar thing, yeah. but the lawn mowing becomes because you do it like straight lines, systematic and yeah. overlapping. And so, you should, if you do an area, you should there should be no gaps, no holidays. Right. The only problem is a starter holiday. Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, a gap. <laughs> the only problem is if a nice flat seabed. Seabed's fantastic, but if you start getting sand dunes or big rocky cliffs, you got gaps in your in your data, and your wreck could be hiding in there. And, oh. and it has happened before. Okay, so you've been mowing the lawn. Been mowing the lawn. <laughs> and the edges too. And it's obviously an effective technique at locating... Well, that's how it's all done. ...wrecks underwater. Yeah, all and, around the world, yeah. And when they, when they were doing their MH370 work, they were doing that. It's exactly. a very, very large... Well, yes. they have autonomous vessels for doing wow. craft. So they, they just send them off. Send them off. Wow. And then, like, a couple of days one of later, they come mobile? and collect the data. So it's just... Well, they come home. The autonomous vehicles come home and they just plug them in and download Well, they find them, yeah. Goodness me. Wow. I wonder, can you get them to mow the actual lawn? But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> what'd you find? Well, I found, I've been looking for um, more bits of the Kakariki. So the, the Kakariki, oh, and that and the obviously the Winchester. So for, for listeners who are just tuning in, can you give a brief description of those two wrecks? Right. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, j- I'm jumping all over the show here. That's but okay. That's all good. <laughs> the Winchester well, was a... You haven't noticed we are? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the Winchester first. The Winchester... Because yeah. I can pronounce that one. <laughs> <laughs> the Winchester was a, um, it was a small bark. It was heading out of uh, Melbourne 1853 after coming from the UK to load... To get a loan of uh, coal from Newcastle, New South Wales, and bark are those ones with the single sail? No, uh, uh, three, three sails, three right. masts, three masts, square rigged on the two four masts, yep. the front. Cool, and um, it caught fire off Queenslift. Somebody was smoking when they shouldn't be smoking <laughs> on a coal ship. Well, it was empty, but they, somebody went down to the lazarette, which is sort of the uh, storeroom down the back. With a, uh, a, a naked flame where all the shellac um, and everything, paints and all that were. There's like lighting up a cigarette at a petrol station with the bowels are open. <laughs> yes. Goodness me. Wow. So the whole thing went up in smoke and Ooh. then sunk. Sunk. So we had some note, uh, some lats and long. Oh, not lats and uh, We had some bearings from the notices to mariners, which are completely up the uh, creek when you plot them onto a, ch- a modern chart. What's a notice uh, to a mariner? A, no- oh. a notice to mariners was. Issued by the government of the day, right? Saying, giving a warning, uh, there might be a wreck, there might be a new yeah, reef right. discovered. So it's just just a notice, and in, in up in the Victorian government gazette, or the um, local news, or the Argos, or the Age, or one of those papers. So a very very good um, source of uh, news for for wrecks and that type of thing, mm. wrecks and reefs. So you would use that, of course, That's part as of the a da- guide. Yeah, that was part of the, the data. Oh, it's I like a, it's in. like kind of you know detective. It work. is detective. Yeah. So then I went through the, um, I went through all the newspapers. And Trove is just an amazing resource these days. If you want to find out anything old, just go through Trove because they've got all the Australian, virtually every Australian newspaper or major one, digitised with a word sensitive search mechanism. Oh, cool! Amazing. It is phenomenal. You put a surname and something else, create a, a better um, linkage set. And you'll pretty well come up with it. Mm. If it's there, it'll it'll pop up. So this is Trove dot. It's National uh, Archives of yeah. National Library of Australia. Yeah, yeah, right. Go to That's Trove. Trove. If you want, cool. okay. This is off track. Well, yeah, it's interesting, though. If you want to search your family history as well, just... Yeah, right. It's, it's, okay. it's cool. phenomenal. If they're in the papers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they were making the media for all the wrong or right reasons yes. at the time. Yeah. That's it. So, if, so you've used these notice to mariners and... And, and other notices of yes. when I... Because it was blown up in 1907. Right. So because ships had come off come up to um, Queenslift to anchor before waiting for the tide change or waiting for a wind to be able to get out through the heads, they were catching their anchors on this wreck. So that in... <sighs> in There's been fouling anchors for ages and ages. In 1880, there was a diver called Diver Putwain and he uh, he was sent down to um, recover the anchor, these anchors and he said, oh, it ended up in the Argus or one of those papers saying... There's a, a wreck down here, you know, if, uh-huh. if, in case you guys don't know. He gave uh, some, some rough directions where it was. So using that and there's other clues as you hunt all through these newspapers and you sort of overlay these and you try to reduce the search area into a – you've got – we're still down to a couple of kilometres. But yeah, so, wow. Okay. So we're searching like 500 by 500 metres each time. Just out there mowing a the lawn, running a side scan – Looking for um, signs, and the site is there because divers have, have drifted over it over the kind of accidentally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, what's that? They have come up and go. That's an amazing shipwreck down there. And then the, the guy in Chatterboat goes, "What shipwreck?" Yeah, right. <laughs> mm. So it's there, and we're just slowly mowing the lawn. Yeah, and, and did you find it? Oh, no. <laughs> 
no. Is it? Is it? When you don't find it, is it like a process of elimination? Can you kind of well, I cross it out on a grid to go right? Yeah, well, we yeah, know yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, there, yeah, right? Although you keep the data because you re- keep on reviewing it because there might be a little. It might just be like a, a few. Ribs poking up out of yeah, the water, and then right. you, yeah. you come back later and you think, oh, oh there it is. Mm. Yeah. Plus, I usually go home, lock myself in my study, and just cry for a few <laughs> hours, <laughs> looking at the data, <laughs> shaking it. <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so that was the wind. That was the Winchester. Winchester. And what was the other one? The other one's the Kakariki, which yeah, is. Yeah, wasn't Kakariki. Kakariki was a union steamship company steamer, and that was coming up from in nineteen thirty January nineteen thirty seven. It was heading from Strawn in Tassie up to Melbourne, just near the Jolly Bra- old Jolly Brown Pile Light, which is about nearly a kilometre or so off Williamstown, off the football ground, or was. And that was heading north up to Melbourne and there was a ship called the Caradale, another steam, and that was heading south. <coughs> I can see this I'm coming. <laughs> Join the dots. Yeah. And I pa- one, the, car- the Kakariki was going to pass on the wrong side. <gasps> So at the last moment they no because it's port you pass port to port yeah, it's still, it's still yeah. the same yeah yeah and the, well it's uh, been the same for a few thousand years yes. oh, yeah. and the kakariki was on the starboard side but if they'd maintained their courses everything would have been oh, fine oh no but so, they had the work experience kid on yeah. the bridge I mean, oh geez we're on the wrong side <laughs> oh no look at the handbook here so <laughs> the kakariki swung around to the port <laughs> and then the um, caradale swung around the starboard so you, you can imagine. Oh. They both went the wrong way. They both went the wrong oh. way. So uh, the... Um, <laughs> the Kakariki sank? The Kak... Well, yeah, the Caradale... Did they both sink? No, just the uh, Kakariki. Right. Kakariki, Kakariki sank in about, uh, about 12, 13 metres of water, about a kilometre and a half south of the uh, of Williamstown. And was this during the night? This Yeah, it was at right. night. Right, OK. okay. It, it was dark and yeah. um, so it was a bit of confusion. But, I mean, realistically, they should, shouldn't no, have been no, an accident. no, no. no. Um, Unfortunately, there was five guys drowned. They oh. didn't have a chance to get out. They were, like, trapped in the, um, in the oh. forecastle and that type of thing. So they had, um, they had a diver go down next day and recover, like, the ship's log and all the important bits, bits and pieces. So the uh, this was 1937. And yeah, they would have been, like, in a helmet thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. This is right up Jeff's, yeah, <laughs> Jeff's yeah. part. So he, he might be getting excited listening to this on the way in. <laughs> and so... Uh, this was a very, very, very valuable ship with all had you know fifty thousand dollars worth of cargo, fifty thousand pounds worth of cargo on board. It sunk relatively shallow water. It was not beyond realm, their means to refloat this, but obviously someone had, was going to have to pay, and the Union Steamship Company didn't want to pay, huh. and the uh, the owners of the Caradale didn't want to pay. So it's so they put up the tenders by the Ports and Harbours Department and. Lo and behold, the lowest tender usually wins, and the lowest tender wasn't always suitable or had the equipment to do the, the job. So this thing languished right over the war war years where they actually needed all their shipping and winch, had winches and the whole thing, mm. and it was eventually removed in 1944, 45. Okay. So, but the but, inter- yeah, well, what, was, what stayed there, though? Um, what were you looking for? I was looking because it was, bla- it was blasted. Blasted, uh, blasted the pieces. And bits oh, they'd removed it by blasting it. Flattening right. it. And bits and pieces are spread out all the, over the back of winds down uh, from just off the um, football ground to right around the uh, off the old rifle range. About. So what are you looking for when you're looking for I'm looking for the, uh, 
bits and pieces and I'm sort of mm. trying to look at the archaeology because there's, there's a breaking up site about 800 metres off Williamstown, mm. Back Beach, where I found the early 1980s. I'm just looking, saying, you know, what sort of archaeology could be left after you've blown this thing to pieces? <laughs> yeah, wow. So and did you find pieces? Yeah, I found pieces. There's yeah, been, wow. found a few more bits and pieces and there's a major site... Oh, not a major site. There's a, a few square metres of material right at the stinking site. So we towed a magnetometer over there oh, 20 years ago and I dived it and there was oxyacetylene bottles, there was timber, oh. there was all, all sorts of stuff from wow. the um, salvage uh, attempts. So there's really, there is some interesting archaeology and, and this mm. is going to form part of the story. Yeah, wow. But more importantly, have I got time, bro? Wow. <laughs> Getting close. Give me, give me a countdown. <laughs> One this, this actually brought into dispute or brought forward the uh, state versus commonwealth law. So Because ah. state, well, generally commonwealth overrides um, state generally, but uh, it's actually brought it to the forefront where suddenly they realise there's inconsistencies between the same law at yeah, two right. different levels of government. Mm. So oh, there was surprising. a it was famous... Dixon, I think Dixon versus the Queen or something rather. And this point of law is still used in court cases. If you Google it, you'll see that it still turns up. And just recently, someone got off on a charge. He, he was working for the uh, customs department and steal, trying to steal cigarettes. But he was pros- being prosecuted under the Victorian Act where the Commonwealth actually overrode that. So he got off because he was prosecuted under the wrong... And how does it relate to the Kakariki? Well, that was a court case that... Oh, it's not at all. Suddenly, yeah, because when when, um, Federation came in, they were busy writing laws and Mm. Victoria still had its own laws. So you had the Mm. uh, the Navigation Act versus the uh, Marine Act in conflict over the same objects. Huh. So it's really, really interesting. There you go. We're going to come back to that one. Absolutely. Well, well, you've had a busy summer. Yes. <laughs> you've been very busy and you've handed your Masters in too, handed so congratulations. In, yes, after a good thrashing, I just have to fix up, a, do a bit of polishing and uh, away, so I'll do a PhD Oh, well next. done. <laughs> because you can. <laughs> You're on Radio Marinara. It is oh, 29 minutes past the hour of 9 o'clock. We're going to play... A track and then a quick message as well. This one's Rosie Burgess and Salt off um, a the two hands, yeah, no handful EP um, of last year, and then a um, little bit of message and then back with lots of news from summer. Love that track, Rosie Burgess. Off the handful, part one, actually. There's two parts to that kind of EP collection. Uh, that one is called Salt. You're on Radio Marinara. I'm 3 R. It is 20, 32 minutes past the hour of 9 o'clock. And a lot of things happened over summer. They did. I just loved the handfish story. Yeah, should we start with that? Yeah. This is a really cool story. Uh, so, the red handfish or as I've been calling it, the red right hand fish. It's um, <laughs> critically endangered. Very few of them left. Uh, they're found off the east coast of Tasmania. And 
it's they've been in real trouble as far mm. as conservation status for quite a long time. So these are gorgeous little things. I'll give you a description of them first. They, they're they two species or there's a subspecies. Uh, I won't attempt to name it because um, for a start I can't <laughs> find the name. <laughs> I'll find it at some point. Um, but they, they're the coolest little dudes. They are between about 7 and 13 centimetres long and they're called handfish because I don't, if you haven't seen one before, their pectoral fins are structured in a way that they can actually walk on the bottom. And they do. They walk around. There's some really cool footage out there which we'll post on our Facebook page so you can see what these things look like. But they actually walk on the seafloor. And so the real concern is that um, that their numbers have been really, really low. And it's been, has it been mainly a habitat loss thing or they've been eaten by other stuff or what? It just, Um, they they have not done well with uh, us being around. I haven't been able to find, yeah, exactly. I haven't been able to find too much Mm. on why they're so endangered. Um, There's thought that people take them and put them in tanks because they are so cute, fantastic. Yeah. cute um, and just really spectacular. But also their numbers have just been in constant decline. Because they're, they're benthic, so they live on the seafloor, I'm guessing they're probably quite vulnerable to predation and then, and because they can't red. swim away and they're bright red. Yeah. So they're a bit of a beacon to potential predators. Uh, so they've been – oh, here we go. Red handfish was known as the um, Brachionichthys <laughs> politis. Oh, there we go. I was thinking that. Break the this politis. <laughs> but it's been recategorized. Thank Ooh. you, taxonomists. I can read this. Oh, this one's a bit easy to pronounce. Uh, Thymicthus politis. Oh, good. Because I was worried about that. I thought you might have been yeah, up all night yeah. concerned about the well, name change. That it should have been should have been changed a while ago. <laughs> Here we go. So threats to hand red handfish include poaching for use of pets. Its low reproductive rate and low dispersal rate make it a challenge for the species' survival. And so some university was it UTAN? researchers have been following it. Yes. And they found new, like loads of them. They almost like tripled the number that we thought existed. Well, not exactly, but they have found a discrete population all on its own, which they just Ah. weren't expecting to find. And they were just about ready to give up. I'm trying to find the article. Here it is. So um, some divers went down and they thought, right, we've got to have a really good look and see if we can find another population of these things. So uh, they found them. Uh, it was the Institute of Marine and Antarctic Stud- Studies who made the discovery two hours into the dive and the group was about to give up. And yeah, she wow. described this as a needle in the haystack moment when she suddenly saw this little red handfish amongst a bunch of red algae. So this thing was really, yeah. it was like a Where's Wally situation <laughs> trying to find this thing. So they Very were able, cool. Yeah, so they were able to... Um, expand their search area. They reckon that the this particular population of about 20 individuals, I think, is what they were expecting, yeah, what, wow. what they found. Uh, size of a couple of tennis courts. Yeah, so wow. quite, you know, and as far as... And they're keeping it still, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, not, they're not saying where so they found them. So what sort of depth, Bron, are they found in? Quite shallow. Um, you kind of, almost snorkelling depth, oh, you really? can, yeah. 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 But we're going to... I'm going to move now to <laughs> loads of fish from little fish. Can okay. we do that? Yeah, let's do that. So did you guys see, and this one I had to give a wry smile, but then also there's some not so good things in it, but there's a there's a major piece of um, aquaculture research been happening off Port Stephens up in northern New South Wales, and it's been a kind of a joint New South Wales fisheries and uh, I think it's a company from Tassie, actually, Hue and Aquaculture. And so... What they've been doing is they've been trialling these big ocean pens to grow 
kingfish, yellowtail kingfish, which are the big predatory, you know, kind of things that people go out and do those big, big, big fish, you know, kind of fishing things, you know, those Bob ones. Bob Dyer stuff. Yeah, off the back of the boat with the big rods, whatever. And so, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, that, that was that was a yawn. That wasn't a that wasn't a gasp of. Yeah. I grew up amongst oh, game yeah. fishes yeah. and um, game fishing. That's what the word yes, I was looking for. I know. Anyway, these are target game species, you know. And so, they, of course, they're growing them up, and I think they're growing them up not to put them back in. They're growing them up to 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 sell on the market because kingfish are used in sushi and stuff. Anyway, so there's a couple of big pens up there, and they're trying a new pen way out in the ocean. Um, that was supposed to withstand a 15 metre swell. They were called fortress pens, and they had the and these are big fish. Okay, you know I'm I'm, I'm holding my hands up. They're probably like a metre. You know, like they're big. Fish. It was that big. That, that big, big. You know, so you can think of a very large fish, not a little handfish. Anyway, they had twenty thousand uh, twenty thousand of them, which is close to two million dollars worth of stock, and they got out. <laughs> These things are top of the food chain predators. Mm. So the headlines in the paper were 20,000 ravenous kingfish hit Port Stephens. And unfortunately, there's a marine protected area there as well. And so two things happened. The authorities noticed, got out there and rounded up, I don't know how you do this with like, I don't know, marine kelpies, but they rounded up 3,000 of them, put them back in other pens, and then all the local fishers heard about it. So they're all, boom, they're in I was going to say, was that followed up by the headline 5,000 hungry game fishers <laughs> yeah. hit Port Stephens? That's exactly. People were going, boom, when they were hell going. It was, it was on social media. Everyone's going, get to Port Stephens, get yourself a kingfish. So you can take five a day. And so people were actually posting things about just putting, like they were coming around boats because, of course, they'd been hand-fed yes. by pellets. Over, uh, you know, or machine fed by pallets. So they heard the boat, so they would come to the boat. They were proverbial fish in the barrel. Exactly. So the game fishers were putting their, you know, hooks in and getting them. Anyway, so anyway, there's still 17,000 out there at the last Mm. count or more. Probably game fishers have taken a thousand. So now, so there's two questions. One is, oh my goodness, genetic broodstock. Are we, you know, where did these come from? Turns out they're actually local genetic broodstock so they're not going to change the genetic structure of that area because of course there are kingfish along that part of the coast but more importantly they're probably now going to hoover up everything that doesn't get them out of their way your finger fish included yeah Yeah. so that's so anyway we'll we'll keep a look on that one um i thought that was just a bizarre thing turns out then the people that made the pen were saying oh there was something there that said it was 11 meter waves but uh no, no, no. All the bureau people are going, there's no waves that big, so they've buggered up something. Yeah. Anyway, wow. so you got another one? I've got a couple. I've got a plug. I do a plug. Jeff's here, so I don't want to cut Jeff short. No. It's my New Year's resolution, by the way. Not cutting Jeff short. <laughs> Not cutting Jeff short. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got you on at the start of the show, so we don't cut you short anymore, Rex. Allow um, me two minutes. <laughs> I've got a couple of Great Barrier Reef stories. So uh, obviously there was the federal government announcement they were going to put $60 million into uh, programs and research to attempt uh, to stop the coral bleaching that's affecting so much of the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, Climate Council's come out with a media release, the headline, Federal Government Missing the Boat on Great Barrier Reef Threat. So uh, their their comments saying, look, this will go to a certain level to uh, address the issue of coral bleaching and the real, you know, the the massive problems facing the reef, but it's not going to go far enough if you don't identify uh, programs and measures to try and 
uh, address the real issue of climate change, it's you know it's only going to go so far. Mm. Um, There's also a big question about you know I mean I saw that work last year by the uh, gosh who was it that came out with the value if you think about it the economic value of the reef and it was in the multiple billions the many 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 tens of multiple billions. So I was having a conversation with someone about that investment and you know you can't help but notice the difference in scale of investment. Mm. That sounds like a lot of money, but compared to just the economic output of the reef in terms of ecosystem services and tourism and blah, blah, blah. It's a drop in the ocean. Literally. Yeah. Well, metaphorically. Yeah, metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. Literally metaphorically. <laughs> but I do appreciate that there will be some attempts some to address is. the issue of agricultural runoff and that's part of the equation as well. Uh, that was followed up by a story, an interesting story of volunteer dives. It's interesting because we're talking about how far can $60 million go as far as this huge problem. And this program... It, it didn't cost nothing because there's obviously always going to be costs, but um, volunteer divers, so as far as money being put into this program was, was nothing, they did it all voluntarily, went in and uh, killed 47,000 crown, crown of thorn starfish on the southern Great Barrier Reef in seven days. Goodness. So they managed to break a, re- a world record as well, but I and don't they think that, was, right that was the purpose. They didn't cut them up, no. which makes more of them. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> so they, they, it's a, I guess as in terms of humane processes, it's about as humane as they can get. So it involves a, a quick injection of, of salts into the starfish and they die pretty much instantly. Yeah. Um, so 25 volunteer divers Goodness had me. a nine-day mission and uh, they said it was the most amount of starfish that have ever been killed in a single trip in that time. So they've had similar missions where they've culled up to 30,000, but this one was getting close to 50. Goodness me. So, look, you know, it's, again, not solving the problem, but it's 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 going... There's 47,000 less it's crown of thorn starfish. Yeah. Each producing millions of, of larvae. Yes. <laughs> so it. that less of that. That's right. Less opportunity. One, do you want to do a quick plug? Yeah, really quick plug. So White Night is coming up and in a couple of weeks and uh, White Night Underwater yeah, is going to be happening. fantastic. So this is, it's called Colours of the Bay White Night Underwater taking place at Blegari Yacht Squadron uh, by, sorry, the uh, it's Blegari Pier, Blegari Marina and promises to be really exciting. That's fantastic. Interesting addition to Underwater White Night. White Night. That's it. Who'd have thought? Whoa, we're gonna, so, we'll put the link. Is there a link we can put on there? There will be, yeah, yes. Cool. So, Blegari Pier, set to feature a world first, this year's White Night will not only see the world's most iconic cityscapes illuminated, but for the first time ever, an underwater one too. So, this is a collaborative exercise uh, by the Blegari Yacht Squadron in partnership with Reef Design Lab and Dive to You Mobile Adventures, supported by Spa Electrics. Goodness me. There you go. Good on. If you want some more information, we will put that on our Facebook page. I know there's already been some concerns raised about diver safety, oh. uh, which is fair enough too. Um, well, hopefully the boats won't be coming in and out. <laughs> no, no, that's right. But in terms of um, there have been uh, issues with um, with diver deaths oh. and, of, of course, you know, diving at night just brings oh, yeah, another level oh, yeah. of risk, another yeah. component to it. So if but you're thinking of taking everywhere. part, yeah, there will be lights and there will be people everywhere too. But, um, yes, safety has to come first. I I'm I'm going to hold off to when I'm next on to talk about the um, how many seals a polar bear eats. Um, and um, you're on Radio Marinara. It is till 10 and a, 11 and a half minutes to the hour of 9 o'clock, which means 11 and a half minutes to the doctors who are amassing. There are stethoscopes dangling on windows. There's, and there's someone. 
There's golf clubs. <laughs> there's been, they've been coming through these golf clubs. Yeah. The series of portions parked up. They're, they're, anyway. they're, they're, they're scrubbing up. The only up. place no. in the world you actually keep a doctor waiting. They've got, they've got their scrubs on. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I, the only reason I come into Marinara is I can just look out there in the green room and think, yeah, you wait, pal. And you it, read I, a magazine. And I need to let. I need That's to see. Geographic. And I need to see beads of sweat. Yeah, yeah. And then there's I'm like, a, yeah, okay, you can come in. There's a four-year, there's a four-year-old woman's weekly out there. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> oh, Jeff, that for 22 years I've never thought of that. I love it. Oh, dear. We welcome Jeff Maynard in for Soundwave. It's going to be a big year, guys. Um, I'm going to do Australian Aussie TV shows that relate to underwater and stuff. <laughs> what, are we just doing it, one of these? Or? <laughs> Is there a whole year worth? No, no, we've got a, we've got a whole year full. Yeah, and some man. of them are absolutely dreadful. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to kick off with uh, the first one. Is uh, Barrier Reef. And I, I think it was it might have had great in it. I, back in the days when the the Barrier Reef had a great before before the days of Adani mines and, and it was, plastic. And well, everything. and it was the time when it really was great. Yeah, that's right. That's it's right. still great-ish, isn't it? it, it well, it's great-ish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, th- I think I think the great's optional. Uh, but this was a Is it like just the good barrier the reef. Yeah. Barrier reef. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Yeah. Oh, the reef. <laughs> so I've got. A, I've got. Sorry, just a, just a quick digression. I've got a Frank Sinatra album that's called Frank Sinatra: The Very Good Years. Like they're not great. <laughs> oh, okay. And they're yeah. better than fair, yeah. but they're, they're just the very good years. You know that's the album you don't really want. Yeah. You want the you, know, you, you want the great years. Go through iTunes and think, oh, yeah, where's the other one? He was uh, aiming for can the Can I start. go on my segment? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, yes. Go ahead. Thank you. It's um, good to see you, Jeff. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, this Barrier Reef started in 1969. It went for about 40 episodes. It was a follow-up to Skippy. By the end of the late 60s, uh, Skippy was getting, you know, lost a bit. Tired. Of, lost a bit of, <laughs> in his, his hop. What's that? And, um, and actually in the last episode of Stippy, uh, Skippy, uh, Ken James, who played Mark Hammond, <gasps> he, they say, you know, they, and they're all sort of saying goodbye and, you know, end of Skippy and all that. And, He's a and ranger. he says in the, in the last episode, I'm going off to work on the Barrier Reef. <gasps> Uh, as, as some marine park up there, but a, and so, and so he went on to this new series, spin-off series, not in sixty nine. Well, series. not really a spin-off because they changed his name anyway. Uh, but it was some of the same producers. <laughs> was it the same actor? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Ken James. So hang on, the actor. Can I get on with I'm it? Gonna, sorry. Yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know, I got the room, guys. <laughs> um, some of the same producers went on to do Barrier Reef, yeah. and they basically put a bunch of people on a ship, which they called the New Endeavour, and they float around the Barrier Reef having adventures. I and remember. they'll stop, they'll stop uh, smugglers, or they'll find someone who's distressed, or they'll do whatever. And the um, the ship is a uh, not. Rex Hunter would know what it is, but it's something with, <laughs> with big sticks in the middle and sails and canvas. And it's uh, run by Captain Jack, who's a sort of neighbours level actor that you won't remember. Uh, Ken James in bathers and an aqualung and constantly sort of getting out of the water with a dripping wet six-pack. Glistening, six pack yeah. At about 25 years of age. Um, Karen Brett, who was a 25-year-old who wore little shorts and was smarter than all of them put together. And uh, the big mistake in the series is they forgot the feisty 12-year-old with an Australian marsupial. And that's right. probably, you know, that, that, uh, they, they fixed it up in some of the other series I've got this year. So you'll see, you know, okay. the, the little kid with the koala on his shoulder sailing around the barrier reef somewhere, but not in actual barrier reef series. They missed out there. 
and in this episode of Barrier Reef, Captain Jack has found a wreck, and he's upset by this because this oh. wreck might predate Captain Cook. Oh. There's one recorded wreck along here for every mile of coastline. You don't really want to find this one, do you, Ted? You know, Jack, what you're taught at school is supposed to be the truth. Well, it's the general theory. You think it's about to change? Well, in this case, it could. If that wreck turns out to be the Spanish vessel they claim was sunk in the 1690s, well, that's, that's 80 years before Cook discovered Australia. Now I'm starting to get the message. Yeah. And if we salvage it and prove the Spaniards' point, well, we may as well sit down and start rewriting the history books. There we go. Sorry, um, just said it again, so Jeff. Oh, we're, we're going to have to rewrite the history books, but I think that they're, they're, they're flexible anyway. Did it mean that we'd be speaking Spanish as well? Like the country um, would change its name to Australia? Possibly. Australia. We'd probably be speaking Portuguese and Rex Hunter will know more of this because <laughs> there are quite a few theories that the Portuguese mapped Australia um, around between 1521 and 1524. Oh. They, three ships sailed down the east coast of Australia. What about uh, Christian de Mendonça on yeah, the west that's, coast? Yeah, that's the guy I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Uh, Torres? Yeah. And um, according to the sort of hard-to-interpret maps, they might have sailed into Port Phillip Bay and um, one of them left his, his mobile phone at Geelong. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, in this episode of... of, of um, uh, and then, of course, they continued on to Port Ferry where the ship, one of their ships sank and that became <laughs> the, the mahogany ship. Yeah. And, and that's ah. the theory behind the mahogany ship. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We haven't Did touched it? the mahogany ship not for a while. Not for years. No, not, you should not get John Sherwood back in. But, um, <laughs> And and that's buried somewhere under the sand dunes. But this, but you think that so they're finding. Look, there's a fair bit in the actual oh. theory, and, and Rex yeah. would know more about it than me. But there is a fair bit in the theory that. The, the but Captain Jack's getting a bit antsy about this. Well, <laughs> Captain Jack's getting a bit antsy about this because he's, he's a bit concerned about um, Captain Cook's reputation as you would the first <laughs> yeah. to discover yeah. Australia. Yeah. And there, there's theories. There's one thing in. Um, uh, in Captain Cook's log, where he actually uh, the Endeavour hits the Barrier Reef, and Captain Cook to gets it off, sails it into um, uh, Cooktown. Cooktown Harbour, and writes in his journal: "This harbour will do excellently, although it is not as large as I had been told." <gasps> And so who told him there was a harbour at Cooktown? Did, did he have the Portuguese map? But Those Spaniards. Look, you could do a show on all that sort of stuff. We're yeah. doing a show on a great series <laughs> yes. called Barrier Reef with, with beautiful scenery and average acting. Um, all colour, and it was shot a lot. First TV series to do a lot of underwater colour mm. photography of scuba divers. And for that reason, it sold to about 50 countries around the world. Mm. It was sort of skippy underwater, except for the lack of the kid. Um, and the mustard. Anyway, on this, on, in this episode, we've got a grumpy Spaniard on board who's out to prove he's, he's you know, Pedro somebody, and he's out to prove that it is a Spanish ship and he's some... So. I am a Spanish archivist, Spanish doctor, and am concerned only with my country's history. I intend only to prove that a Spanish navigator discovered East Australia before Cook. Now, I know the ship you have found is the Santa Margarita, lost in 1697. Now, I do not wish to prove that Columbus did not discover America, or that uh, America was not first on the moon, only that Spain discovered this new world and is entitled to such recognition. Um, yeah, the new yeah. endeavour has got something that poor Rex Hunter doesn't have when he's wandering around Port Phillip Bay looking for things. Uh, the new endeavour had a nuclear underwater scanner. <laughs> 
that could not only find metal but could identify the metal at a sort of depth of three or four metres under sand. It could tell you what sort of metal I it have was. to tell you something different. You want one? In, in private, I do have one. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's, called, it's a secret. It's called Minus. They, they always, and the, the woman who sits in the thing, who's smarter than all of them, got her hair permed even when she comes out of the water, uh, she sits at this enormous control panel of this thing called Minus, which stands for Mineral Identification Nuclear Undersea Seismography. And so they actually scan this thing and they find metal on it and they're having a dispute about the, whether there's gold on the ship. I have a complete history on the Santa Margarita. Here is all the information on her, including copies of her last manifest. No gold? No gold. I imagined you always knew about this. You invented the gold so we'd raise the ship for you. It was necessary. That sounds almost like bribery. Well, bribery if the gold had been there. I must say I'm surprised at your deception. I wonder what your government would say if they knew about it. Or do they? No, Sir John. What I have done has been without the knowledge of my government. But I would do it again if it would help prove a historical fact. Oh, so it all gets you. a bit confusing. So minus the <laughs> nuclear identification thing says there's no gold, therefore it is possibly the ship or something. I, I got confused about it. And um, <laughs> anyway, just as they're all sort of agreeing, it's possibly not the ship. Uh, the lady who presses all the buttons at the big console that does nothing um, rushes up to say, look, we've found something. So let's have a look to the deciding conclusion. There certainly was no gold on the Santa Margarita. And your findings show that there is no gold on that ship below us. That's right. So it confirms the fact that it could be the Margarita. What do you intend doing, Mr. King? Well, that's a chance that Cook will have to take. Captain, we found something. We are getting a gold reading. Gold? Yes, the boys were playing around chasing sharks and they've located gold just east of the ship. It looks like a cargo must have dropped as the ship was sinking. Are you sure, Elizabeth? Yes, quite sure. I've checked three separate readings. Must be at least seven or eight thousand ounces. Well, gentlemen, this proves one thing. Our wreck cannot be the Santa Margarita. So thank you to the nuclear thingy that uh, figured out their gold had fallen off the ship as it was sinking. The boys were chasing sharks. Yeah, yeah, that was Ken James. They actually had, in the last, um, in the... The, the Skippy movie, they had a little two-man sort of submersible thing that they'd sit in scuba dive around because that was set off um, somewhere. And uh, they actually kept that little... The producers kept the little submersible and that, that zooms all around the barrier reef and the boys were sitting in this chasing sharks for fun, as you do. As you do, yeah. And you'd just luck it's upon like the gold. the car and yeah. going out and, you know, hooning around. But they were hooning yeah. around. And you'd luck upon the gold. As you do, and, and you'd lack upon you the gold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, look, oh. Uh, uh, oh, so I love it. Cook's Cook's reputation was intact for this episode on the new endeavour, and next week I'll uh, sorry, next time I'm in, I'll try and find a feisty year old with a koala or something <laughs> on the boat when they're sailing around the Barrier Reef, which is important. oh, Jeff Maynard, fantastic sounds, guys. Sound waves. Oh, something. Now that we're fifteen. Now years we're, it's in. sound waves. We've decided. Yeah. <laughs> This has been a podcast oh. from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly oh. independent community radio. Want to hear oh. more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.